0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Awesome, good, all right, you're awake, awesome. Well, my name is Josiah, and I get to work with our students and our small groups here at Grace. Uh, and I love getting to work with our students, getting to pour into their lives here. I love being able to do that. I'm also married to my wonderful, beautiful wife. I uh, can throw our wedding picture up there, you can always those wherever we can, but uh, that's who she is. She actually was up here singing, so you may have noticed that as well, but she's a huge support encouragement for me. Uh, She also has a passion for students. Uh, She teaches writing to middle school and high school students um, over at Heritage Christian School. And so we both get to pour into kids together uh, and we both have loving families that support us and encourage us as well. Uh, both here at Grace, many of you guys have supported us and loved us very well that way. Um, but also at, at home as well, we have both very loving families. And uh, as always studying and looking at things this week, I really learned to not take that for granted. A loving family and a connected family uh, in that way. And so I came across this story about a father uh, who came... who disagreed and kind of fought with his son for a little bit. And they ended up separating and going different ways. Uh, And not long after that, the father went after the son, trying to find out and reconnect with him. Uh, And it took him a while, right? He was trying to find where he went off to and trying to to contact people that he knew to see if he could connect with them again. Uh, But it took him a while. He never really ended up figuring out anything, finding out where he was. And so eventually, uh, in kind of desperation, he uh, went to a newspaper and bought an ad in the newspaper. Uh, And he put an ad in that said, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. So on Saturday, the father wakes up and he's hoping that his son is there and that they can be reconciled. And, And as he shows up to the newspaper office, 800 men named Paco are there looking for forgiveness from their fathers. And although it's, it's kind of a funny, cute little story, right? it still illustrates this idea that so many of us deal with this problem of unforgiveness and hurt in our lives. I I guarantee many of us, if not all of us, have been on one side or the other of forgiveness, right? whether we've been wronged or we've wronged someone else. And so we've been going through this series called Deception, The Father of Lies, and we've been looking at how our common enemy, the devil, uh, has these different strategies of attacking us and deceiving us. And it's been some really good stuff. If you've missed any of that, we have our app. You can go check that out on or our website, barbardon.graceohar.org. Uh, you guys can check any of those out that you guys missed. But we're, today we're going to be digging into another one of those tactics of the devil. And so what we've been saying is the devil kind of works like the game Two Truths and a Lie. Who's played Two Truths and a Lie before? Or at least heard of the game, right? Of, uh, several of us have. Uh, but it works like this. You tell two truths about yourself and a lie, but you're trying to trick people in what the lie is and that they don't want to know which one's the lie. So they have to pick which one it is, but usually you try and hide that lie and make it sound like a truth, right? The devil works the same way. He tries to hide these lies amidst other truth and make it sound really believable. But in in reality, it's a lie. And we've said that's how the devil works. That's how he tries to deceive us. And last week we talked about distraction, how he distracts us not necessarily with bad things, but with good things as well, right? With, with With our job, with school, people, right? Some all great things, sports, reputation, all those things are good but they distract us from our ultimate goal and the devil uses those. And so this strategy uh, that we're gonna talk about today, I think we can say the same thing, right? The devil kind of sneaks it in on us. And that strategy is the work of bitterness or unforgiveness. So bitterness is the feeling of being hurt, right? Being wronged and this feeling of resentment, right? We've probably all been there. And it's it's really difficult and tricky because we can't help from being hurt, right? We're, We're gonna be hurt in this world. That's just gonna happen. That's part of living in this world. Um, And the thing is, we have to decide what we do when we get offended. We can't escape that part of it. So what I wanna do actually is step back a little bit, look at this root of bitterness uh, and kind of where it comes from and see this cycle that we end up getting stuck into. So uh, I read this one scholar that talked about this trap of offense, okay? So that's like the first part of this cycle, trap of offense. We are wronged or we wrong someone else, right? We, whether that's proper or improper, whether that's perceived wrong or we actually are wrong, we're basically hurt. And so that's the first step of it. And then the next, that kind of leads into this next step of bitterness, right? We, we all have a different way of how we respond to it, but we generally respond to with bitterness, right? That's where this kind of leads us. The thing is, we're all wrong. Like I said, when was the last time... You were wronged. Maybe for some of us that was already this morning or yesterday or maybe on the way here, right, in the car. Maybe we felt hurt in some way. But it leads to bitterness, right? And that can look like several different things. We take that out in different ways. What does that look like for you? What does your bitterness look like? And the trap is that when we feel offended, we naturally respond to this bitterness. And this bitterness never leads to anything good, right? This is the next step of the process. It leads to sin and poor choices. Sin and poor choices. And so that, again, could be a number of things. What does your bitterness lead you to? What has it led you to? What is it leading you to right now, right? Our bitterness doesn't end up with anything good, right? It can lead to attacks, insults, wounds, separation, right? Broken relationships, broken hearts, you name it, right? We've all probably felt a lot of that. But here's where the devil's strategy comes in. The devil uses our choice of bitterness to lead to those sin and poor choices. That's where he gets a foothold in our life, is us harboring our bitterness. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, can throw that up on screen. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So Jonathan Carey, Pastor Jonathan Carey, uh, talked about this idea of anger in our series, The Feelings That We Feel. Again, you can go check that out on our app or the website. And he did a great job of Grappling with how we're supposed to deal with anger and what that looks like. That's a feeling that we have, but what are we supposed to do with that? So he did a great job of addressing that. So we're not going to go that way today. But what I want to do today is talk about how to respond to this tactic of the devil. And I would put it in a form of a question. And that question is this How do we keep the devil from using bitterness as a foothold in our life? How do we keep the devil from using bitterness as a foothold in our life? And as we said, it's this cycle of offense, bitterness, sin, and poor choices. How do we break that? How do we get out of this cycle? How do we short-circuit that? The answer, you probably already know and kind of know where we're going, but it's, it's way easier said than done. It's forgiveness. Right? It's forgiveness. And so we have this choice. When we're offended, when we're hurt, we can either choose to respond in bitterness or break the cycle and choose forgiveness instead. Now, as we've said, this is way easier uh, said than done. Uh, and we can't always help the fact that we're offended or we're hurt, but what we can do is choose between those two. Right? We've all been there. We've been wronged and hurt before. We may not all be named Paco and have a problem with our fathers, but but we've all had to choose between the two. We've all had to choose between the two. And honestly, this week this hit me pretty hard and. I didn't realize this is what I had done as a younger child, as a, as a younger kid, that I would let little petty things offend me and I would let that build up in bitterness. And that usually led to nothing good. But I didn't realize that to this last week that it was bitterness really in my heart that was causing all these things. And I understand this is a difficult thing. And for some of us, it's really hard because it's kind of defining our life. Right? Maybe it's for some of us, it's abuse, right? whether physical, emotional, sexual, verbal. Right? We've, we've been abused. and It's how can we forgive that person when they've hurt us so much? Or maybe your trust has been broken. You've been betrayed. You're like, well, I, I don't want to be hurt again. How can I forgive that person when they've broken my trust? Right? So many of us, if not all of us, again, have been hurt before. And sometimes we even think that we've forgiven the person. Right? We've maybe said the words but we really end up just burying that deep inside and it's bitterness that we're burying and that really just continues to grow inside of us. And so it's a challenge. And sometimes our response is we want to just bury our heads. That's definitely been my approach for things, right? We just wanna bury our heads in the sand and not deal with this or we wanna just cut the person off and just be like, you know what, it's fine. I'm, I'm fine, I'm tough, I can do this. I don't need to worry about this. Rather, sometimes it's maybe too hard to bring that back up, right? I read this ridiculous story uh, this week that's probably not even true, but uh, I think it illustrates this point pretty well. And so there's this guy, his name's Harry, and he likes helping his wife around the house, right? Hanging different things and and doing chores and stuff like that. And uh, she criticized the way that he did some of those things, right? And that, that built up in resentment and bitterness in his heart. And eventually he decided, he's like, you know what, I'm done. I'm gonna go to bed for seven years with a blindfold over my eyes and never look at you again. Talk about an extreme response. It's like, whoa, okay, calm down. But that's ridiculous. But sometimes that's the way we act, right? We, we get offended and we're like, you know what? If I just don't do anything, if I just lay here, blindfold, I'm not gonna look at it. I'm not gonna address this. I'm not gonna look at it. We think that's solving it. When really that's still building up in our heart and nothing's being accomplished. Guys, men, as men, I think we do this a lot. Right? We think if we just cut them off, if we just don't even talk to them anymore, if we just disconnect all feelings and emotions from that and just, just let it go, we'll be fine. right? But we still have this buildup of bitterness in our life. And this isn't easy. Right? And this is partly why I want to talk about this today. One of our values its right over there. It's the one on the back. It says, we do hard things. We do hard things. We don't choose the easy route just because it's easy. We do the hard things because that's usually what we're called to do is the hard things. This is one of those things. Choosing forgiveness over bitterness. Thing is, there's this huge problem with bitterness. Some of us may think, oh, well, I can hold on to my bitterness. It won't lead to sin and poor choices. I'll be okay. I can ruminate on this. I'll be fine. Right? It, it doesn't only give the devil a foothold, but it works it works like poison. Right? It's like us drinking poison and expecting the other person to die and to suffer from it when really we're the ones that's getting eaten from the inside out we're being destroyed from the inside because we drank the poison not them nothing happens to them but it happens to us let me explain it in another way who knows what this is we can throw this picture up there who knows what that is it's a toaster oven right who's got one a toaster oven these little mini guys they're great they're fantastic we actually got one uh, as a wedding gift We've loved using it. It's got all those little dials on there, options. It's great, especially for like two people or when there's like one of you and you, you only have to cook something. I like using it for tater tots or pizza rolls, stuff like that, right? It's easy to just toss in there and cook it up real nice. But usually in each of these, there's a tray, right? You have this little metal tray right, that you can do a couple of things with depending on uh, the version that you have. But usually you can cook things with the tray. Right? So you put it in the tray, you can slide it in there and cook the stuff on the tray. Or you can put it underneath the grate that's already in there, and it kind of catches all the grease and the food that drops from the food that's cooking on the grate above, right? Well, what happens when you forget to clean that grease and stuff that drops off the food and not just once, but maybe like 20 times later and you look at it and it's like, oh, no, we forgot to clean the pan. What happens? that happens, right? It gets all gross and like disgusting. It like caramelizes the more you like continue to just forget about it and let it sit on there. And it just, it gets nasty. Like who would cook off of this? Like some of you guys are a little bold. It's fine. I mean, maybe, but is this even healthy to eat off of? Right now it affects everything you cook on here. Like I don't even know what this is. This is mine. I don't even know what this is. So like, you could be getting some pretty risky stuff by cooking on this, right? It's gross. It's disgusting. This is what our heart looks like when we choose bitterness. It's disgusting. Right? It builds up right, and then affects everything that we do, everything that we interact with, everything we try to cook and interact with. Right? Our heart is disgusting and stained. Right? We have a choice. Forgiveness, that'll clean our slate. That'll keep it clean. But bitterness, it's gonna stain it, right? It's gonna stain it. And so we have the choice, bitterness or forgiveness. And so many of us probably know, oh, I've always known I'm supposed to choose forgiveness. I've known that since as a child. My parents were like, oh, go forgive them. Go say you're sorry, right? We know that's the answer, but we haven't actually gone and done that. And so I want to challenge you guys, first of all, to to move from knowing to doing today. To not just come and sit and maybe take some notes or whatever it is, but to actually go and do this, right? To go and go where the Lord is leading you and telling you and leading you to who you should go to uh, to talk about forgiveness. And so what I want to do uh, with our time today is to talk about how we can go do this, how we can answer this question of keeping the devil from getting a foothold in our bitterness. How do we choose forgiveness? Uh, and what does it look like? So what we're going to do is going to go through a couple different things, but let's go ahead and hop into our passage. It's in Matthew 18, so you guys can already flip over there. In the Black Bibles, if you grabbed one of those or if you want one of those, it's in page 799. Um, You can also do it on our app. You can connect to the Wi-Fi and download the app. But that doesn't have a page number, so it's pretty easy to flip there, though, in the app. Uh, You can check that out. So as you guys turn there and head there, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of context to what's going on so we jump into it and know what's happening, and we're not... Uh, a little confused, okay? So first off, this passage is sandwiched between two other stories, right? Two other teachings of Jesus. The first one is about church discipline and the other one is about divorce and remarriage. So all of these have to do with forgiveness, right? This whole section, all these teachings have to do with forgiveness. And so this passage here in the middle of these two uh, starts with Peter's question of how many times should we forgive someone? Genuine human question, right? The Jewish tradition back then said, I'll oh, forgive them up to three times and then you're good after that, right? So Peter was like, oh, I know. i want to go above and beyond. I'm Peter, that's what I do, right? So he's gonna be like, all right, what about seven times, Jesus? Are we supposed to forgive people seven times, right? And then Jesus blows him away, right? He's like, no, not seven, but seven times 70, right? Do we have any mathematicians in the room or maybe some people that remembered their math facts? I may or may not have had to pull out a calculator, but is Jesus saying we keep track and once we get to 490, is that right? Did you guys pull it? Yeah, okay, 490. And once we get there, we're good. Is that what he's saying? No, right? What he's saying is our forgiveness is supposed to be endless. Our forgiveness is supposed to be over and over again. And so that's the context. That's what he says. And then after this, he tells this parable. So it's in the context of this conversation in response to this conversation that he tells this parable, Okay. So let's go ahead and look at it. Uh, Matthew 18, starting in 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Let's go ahead and stop there real fast. So the NIV says bags of gold. Maybe your version says like talents or something like that. So to give you an idea of how much this was, one of the commentators said it was like $14.5 billion today. Millions of billions. Some said others, millions, whatever. A lot of money. Okay, this was a lot of money. He wasn't going to be able to pay it back or earn it back really at all. So the idea of what this amount was, the idea, he's like, hey, he basically can't pay it back. That's why he gave that amount. Okay, so let's continue. He says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So again, silver coins, maybe in your version it says denarii, something like that. This was payable, right? This was something that was doable. This was like $4,000 today. A little bit of a car payment, something like that, right? So it was doable. You could make it happen. It looked like nothing compared to his $14.5 billion, right? Several more zeros behind that one. Let's look at it again. So he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow, servants, or his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt, which is ridiculous because he can't pay it back if he's in prison. So he puts him in a place that he can't even get back. He can't even get even. There's no room for forgiveness there. Let's finish it off. He says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister From your heart. So there's the parable. And we've looked at parables and teachings of Jesus before, right? And what we we realize in each of those, I think it was this past summer, um, he usually has a point, a reason that he's telling a parable. So why do you think he's teaching this parable? What's his purpose here? Kind of already alluded at it, the fact it's kind of in response to Peter's question. But what do you think? What about forgiveness is he talking about here? As Jesus does with most of his teachings or pretty much everything that he talks about, he doesn't beat around the bush, right? He gets straight to the root, the heart of the problem. And as with this parable, he's getting to the root of forgiveness, Okay, he's getting to the root of forgiveness. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through some different things that forgiveness isn't and forgiveness is. I think this will help us understand how we are to forgive other people. There's definitely some misconceptions I had going into this and misunderstanding forgiveness. So I want to walk through some of those. And then I want to leave our time today with two questions. Two questions to leave us and to take off from today. Sound good? Sound good? You guys still there? It's Palm Sunday, let's go, all right. All right. All right, stay with me here. Here we go. Let's hop on into it. Forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. You've probably heard the phrase forgive and forget, right? But as humans, we can't actually forget a memory, right? We can't actually just take it out of our head and it's gone, deleted forever, right? Sometimes we may want to, right? We're like, man, they've hurt me so much. I wish I could just forget that. But we can't, Right? And really the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere about that, right? To forget that. So when we forgive, what we're actually doing is we're choosing to move on and not hold it against them, right? To move on and not hold it against them. We can't forget what has happened to us, right? There's many times that we can't forget about it. But with God's help, as we'll get into here in a little bit, we can move on and we can forgive that person, We'll get into this idea of costs a little bit later, but to help understand this idea, it's like a transaction, like a transaction on a credit card. And so you have this transaction that happened, you can see the history, like, yes, that was paid for. Um, and on a credit card, you usually can earn rewards, right? You get to earn some different rewards for different cards. And so sometimes you get to use those reward points and pay for some of your things, like, oh, Gas cost 30 bucks, I'll pay that with my reward stuff. I didn't have to pay anything, right? So there was still a transaction though. There was still a history of that happening. You see that in there, you're like, in my account, say, oh yeah, it says it was paid for, it was good. When we go and forget people and stuff like it, it's like we're acting like that transaction never happened. But we still paid for it, right? There was still a cost that we had to pay for. Like the, the credit card company paid for us, we were paying for their cost of forgiving them. So we're not going and forgetting about that transaction. We're still paying for the transaction. It still happened, but we're not forgetting about it. Because when we do, we we think that we are actually going and forgetting. What we end up doing is just pushing it down and letting it become bitterness in the first place. So forgiveness isn't forgetting, right? It's moving on and not holding that against them. Okay, so that's what forgiveness isn't first. Second, forgiveness isn't saying it's okay. Forgiveness isn't saying it's okay. In other words, we aren't agreeing with what the person did. We aren't condoning their behavior. Right? What they did is still wrong. And I think we see this in a couple of smaller examples, um, whether that's with kids, right? Or I myself, like as a people pleaser, right? You're like, oh no, it's okay, it's fine, right? So if someone runs into you, steps on your toe, it's like, oh no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You're fine, right? In a small case like that, that's probably a fine response, right? But what about with Larry Nasser, right? Jeff mentioned him in his trial of abusing all these women. We're called to forgive him, and does that mean we go and say, oh, it's okay, no big deal, you're fine. Here's a slap on the wrist, now go behave, right? That's not what we're saying to him when we forgive him. We're still called to forgive him, but we're not condoning that behavior. There's still going to be consequences, especially when the law is broken, but we're still called to forgive On a smaller scale, I think we see this with kids as well, right? Maybe you have one sibling hit another one and they're like, oh, go say you're sorry, you're not supposed to hit them. And so they go and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And the other kid's like, it's okay, it's fine. Well, you're like, well, no, you have to correct them and say, no, don't say it's okay, because it's not. It's not okay that they hit you. Say, I'm sorry, I forgive you. It's okay, don't say it's okay. Say, I forgive you, right? That's the better response. That's different than saying, I forgive you. So forgiveness isn't agreeing with someone and saying what they did is okay. That's what forgiveness isn't. The last thing that forgiveness isn't that we're going to talk about today is forgiveness isn't reconciliation. Forgiveness isn't reconciliation. So forgiveness is always good. That's always the choice that we should choose. We should never choose bitterness. And the thing is, that's always going to be the hardest one, usually, is choosing forgiveness. But here's what's so hard maybe about this, choosing forgiveness, is sometimes it doesn't always end up being reconciled. There's not always reconciliation, even when we forgive someone. Honestly, that's our desire, right? We want it to be put back together. We want it to be fixed. We want everything to be solved. But that's not always the case. But we're still called to forgive people. There are some cases you may not be able to reconnect with the person, whether they're not here on earth anymore, um, or maybe they don't want to accept your forgiveness and apology and they don't want to seek reconciliation in the first place, right? But we're still called to forgive them, right? Because when we take this as an extreme and, and, we, and we think, you know, what? you know what, this is all I have to put, we're supposed to have everything put back together, I have to put this back together, like we, we have to get even, we have to make this right, then it starts to become revenge. And revenge is not our role at all. That is not what we're supposed to do, Uh, in Romans 12, Paul talks about this idea. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So God will bring the justice that people deserve, right? Different ways and how he wants to, maybe not how we want to, but he will revenge for us. He will avenge. That's not our role. Our role is to forgive. Reconciliation is definitely the goal of forgiveness. That should still be something that we strive for. But our our calling is to forgive. And sometimes that doesn't mean we get reconciled with the relationship on this earth, okay? So those are some things that forgiveness isn't. And that helped me understand this a little bit more. Hopefully that clarified with you some questions uh, about forgiveness. But I also want to talk about some things that forgiveness is, okay? So bear with me. Forgiveness is, first off, Costly, Forgiveness is costly. So as seen in the parable, right, it's kind of talked about in this context of debt. And so debt is when someone owes you something, right? Whether that could be actually money or just some other payment for doing wrong to somebody. There's still a price to be paid, right? It's kind of back to that transaction idea, this idea of cost, right? The price has to be paid by someone. And when we forgive someone, we are paying that price. We're paying that cost. We see that pretty clearly with the king in the story right we don't know if he was wealthy or not but he's still short 14.5 billion dollars that's not going to just pop out of anywhere right he's still short that much money which is a lot of money wherever you're at right 14.5 billion dollars he had to eat that cost the same thing goes for when we forgive others right there's some kind of emotional cost maybe a physical cost on our bodies or ourselves or maybe an actual object or money, right? There's still a cost that we have to eat when we forgive others and when others forgive us. So what cost have you caused others to forgive you? Or what cost have you paid to forgive others? Sometimes we've paid some big costs to forgive people or vice versa, right? But the ultimate cost, right, we see from God. He paid his son as the ultimate cost for us. So no matter what cost you've had to pay, God's paid the bigger cost for us. We're gonna talk about that idea a little bit later, but I hope that encourages you that God's paid the biggest cost for us, the price of his son. So that's the first thing forgiveness is. Forgiveness is costly. Second, forgiveness is free. Forgiveness is free. So it's free at the same time that it is costly, right? So it's it's costly to the forgiver, but free to the receiver, right? And I think this is something that we need to remember when we go to forgive someone, right? Because we can't go and have strings attached f- to our forgiveness, right? I think we do this sometimes unintentionally when we're like, well, as long as they get to this point in their life, then I can forgive them. Or or they have to be here, or it has to be this much time, and then I can forgive we keep making these excuses and, and putting strings on our forgiveness, then that doesn't make it free. Forgiveness has to be free. I mean, we see that in the parable where he didn't earn it. Right? There's nothing he did to, to earn the forgiveness of the king. right? And the same things goes for who we forgive in life. Right? They don't deserve it. Right? They don't earn it or buy our forgiveness. If they do, then that's not real forgiveness. We've still chosen bitterness in our heart. So that's the second thing. It's costly, it's free, and finally forgiveness is endless. Forgiveness is endless. And uh, we see Jesus talk about this prior to the parable. Right? As as Peter asked this really human question, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Right? Have you been there? Have you been at that point of like, oh, do I have to forgive them again? Sometimes we ask that right after the first time because it's so painful. Right? It's a human question, right, that, it's hard to realize that we can't get out of this cycle of forgiveness. Like, do I have to keep forgiving them? But it hurts so much, right? There will be time and time again that the same person hurts you. But we're still called to forgive them. I mentioned I'm still under a year of marriage, but I think we still, we see this endless forgiveness in marriage, right? It's a daily thing. You feel offended from, oh, they didn't, they didn't cook that how I like, or they didn't put that away how I like, they didn't fold the socks how I like them to do, right? And you're like, oh, no. And you have to, you know, even if it's petty things, but big things as well. Sometimes it's like, oh, no, I hurt that person. I didn't mean to hurt her in the way that I did. I didn't mean to hurt him in the way I did. And so you have to ask for forgiveness as well. It's a daily thing in marriage. I think we also see it in our family as well, whether that's with siblings, right, with parents, uh, with our kids. Uh, sometimes kids say things they don't mean, right? And, and they're constantly disobeying as parents, right? I definitely was that child, uh, disobeying my parents all the time. I saw endless forgiveness first from my parents. Um, they, they'd they be nice if you asked them, but I was definitely the most difficult of the five of us, for sure. Like, it's one thing to be the most difficult out of, like, one child, because you're also the best. So, But it's another thing, too, to be the worst out of, like, two or three kids, because, you know, there's not much competition, it's okay. But out of five, like that's, that's pretty bad to be the, the most difficult out of five children. Like Some of you are probably resonating with that. But out of five, they said I was probably the most difficult. And I remember distinctly running away from home one time. And uh, I remember running up our road, it was, it was a no outlet road. And so I remember running up the road, I'm gonna get out of here, I'm gonna do this, right? And I was like, I'm gonna make it. And so I remember just running around the neighborhood a little bit and uh, it definitely freaked my parents out. It was long enough to be freaking them out a little bit. Um, but I remember I found this really cool like hiding spot and I'm like, okay, this is where I'm gonna set camp up and I'm gonna survive as a 10 year old. I will be okay, we got this, right? I will make it on my own. And uh, sure enough, I got hungry and bored and I ended up making my way home. And sure enough, they welcomed me with open arms. Probably a spanking and some grounding too, but open arms, right? They, They showed me endless forgiveness. That was just one example. And the time and time again, they showed me endless forgiveness. So that's some things that forgiveness is and isn't. Those are just some of the things. And hopefully that clarified a little bit, maybe answered some questions. But I want to now take some time to, to wrap up with two questions. Right? Two questions that once we answer these, this helps us keep the, de- the devil from getting a, a hold on our bitterness. This helps us choose forgiveness by answering and acting on these two questions. Not just answering them, but acting on them as well. So here they are. Let's go ahead and look at them. So, who do I need to forgive? And who do I need to ask for for forgiveness? Who do I need to forgive? And who do I need to ask for for forgiveness? They're two directional questions. So let's go ahead and look at the first one. Who do I need to forgive? So in the parable, the, the servant fails on this one, right? He goes up, he's like choking the other servant. Give me my $4,000, which that's like nothing compared to his $14.5 billion debt, right? But he still goes up and does that. And not only that, but he throws the guy in jail. He left no room for forgiveness. Have you ever done that? Left no room for forgiveness? No room for someone to be reconciled with you? You didn't even give them a space to do that? I think we do that sometimes. But I want to challenge you guys and just let the Lord speak to your heart and and answer who do you need to forgive? Sometimes this is really challenging depending on your experience. It's different per person, but this may be a root that's deeply buried a root that's kind of sprung up into bitterness and a plant that's hard to pull out now and a painful to pull out. It's one of those hard things we have to choose to do. And the devil will do what he can to keep us from doing that, to keep us from forgiving and choosing forgiveness. Because he, when we're stuck in our bitterness, that's when he has his strongest hold on us. That's when he has our strongest hold on us is when we stick to our bitterness and the excuses will come, right? We'll make excuses. Things will happen to keep us from going to forgive the person or ask for forgiveness, right? Eh, they don't want to be forgiven or it's been too long anyways. They probably forgot or, you know, it, it's fine. I don't have time for that anyways or I'm, I'm, it just hurts too much to go and do that, right? The excuses will come, but we need to answer and act on this question. So who do you need to Forgive. There's a second question as well. Who do I need to ask for forgiveness? So we see this direction for the servant to the king, right? He needed to ask the king for forgiveness for his, his debt that he could not pay. Uh, so first, I think we can ask this of others, you know, in, in this earth, like, hey, you know, who do I need to go and ask for forgiveness? Who have I hurt? Who have I wronged? Because at the same time, that, that could either build up bitterness in their heart or our heart as well. But who do you need to go ask for forgiveness? And what for? And what for as well? But ultimately, I think we can ask this question to another person. And so really, I want to actually make another question a third question. I know we said two, but a third question. uh, That once we answer this third question and act on this third question, it helps us answer these first two and enables us to answer these first two. gives us motivation to answer these first two. Okay. So here's what that question is. Have I asked God for forgiveness? Have I asked God for forgiveness? And this is what the parable is showing us, right? It's showing us God is the king and he's forgiven us of this debt, our sin, that we couldn't pay. We couldn't earn our way back. We couldn't get rid of our own sin. There's nothing we could do to wipe that clean, right? But God still ate that cost for us, right? He still forgave us because he paid the cost of his son. Jesus died for us. On the cross, paying for our sin, paying for that debt that we couldn't pay. In Colossians, it talks about this idea, Colossians 2, and it, and it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, not just some of them, all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross, nailing it to the cross. I, I've loved that imagery and something I got to do as a student and what we've gotten to do with our students here at Grace is um, sometimes taking the sins that you need to confess to God or the things you need to give over to God, writing them on a piece of paper, folding it up, and either putting it at the foot of a cross or nailing it to a cross. It was a very tangible and impactful thing to do in my life, to see that actually happen, that that's what Christ does for us. That's what he does for our sin and for what we want to hand over to him. So I want to ask you, what do you need to ask God for forgiveness, right? What do you need to ask God for forgiveness? If you're here checking out grace and and what it means to follow Jesus, right, we're glad you're here. Forgiveness is hard whether you follow Jesus or you don't, right? But we believe so strongly in this idea of forgiveness, because our way of life, our faith, you know, what we call following Jesus, it all rests on this idea of being forgiven from God. That's what it rests on. That's why it's a big deal. We've been forgiven first, but we also have to go and accept that forgiveness, right? It goes back to Paco, right? God is our, our father who's put this full page ad that says, all is forgiven, right? All is forgiven, but we still have to meet him at the newspaper store. We still have to go and meet him there. So you may have felt hurt by God or by someone in this life, but are you willing to go and accept that price that God's paid for you, that Jesus paid for you on the cross? He's he's not gonna force us, right? He's taken his steps to seek after us like the Father in that story, but we still need to respond. And it's our choice to respond as well. And when we do for the first time, right? when we accept God's forgiveness that covers all of our sins, we call that saying yes to Jesus. It's saying yes to a life with him but also a life of choosing forgiveness and not bitterness. And that's why this question is prerequisite to these other two, right? It's hard to forgive others in the first place, but when we see how much God has forgiven us, that becomes our motivation and our enablement to forgive others. It's comparing that $14.5 billion with 4,000, right? When we see how much we owe someone else and compared to how much God has forgiven us for, there's no comparison. It looks ridiculous in comparison. And Colossians, again, a little bit later in chapter, chapter three, talks about this importance of us forgiving others. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There it is. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we forgive because God forgave us first. That becomes our motivation and our enablement. That's how we can answer these other questions is seeing how much God has forgiven us and reflecting on that. And that's the point I wanted to get at today, right? We can forgive other people by looking at how God's forgiven us and and understanding that and wrestling with that. So you may still be struggling with this idea of forgiveness. I don't know each of your stories, but you may have something that, you know, this is too hard or this is, you didn't answer this question. What about this? And I know I may not have answered all the questions, but I wanna challenge you to reflect on God's forgiveness and let that motivate you to forgive others, right? Forgiveness doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It goes against the culture, goes against the norm, but it's still something we're called to do. Cuz when we don't, not only does it give the devil a foothold in our bitterness, because that's what we naturally choose when we don't forgive, but it also we become tortured in our bitterness. Right? Our bitterness eats us from the inside. It makes our hearts disgusting. That gives the devil a foothold in our lives. So let's forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. I want to end with this story. So as I do, the band can come on up, um, but you guys can focus on in and, and listen to this story. On 1986, on July 12th, a New York police officer was doing his normal ro- routine checks in, in Central Park, going around and doing his thing, checking on everyone and the stuff going on. And he and his partner came across Uh, this group of teenagers, right? And they're looking a little suspicious, so they started to head that way towards the teenagers. And as soon as they did, teenagers took off, which is very suspicious right there. So they were like, you know what? We got to take off after them. So they did. They started running after them, took them a little bit to catch them and and chase them down, but they did. They caught up with them. They got them cornered. uh, And they're like, guys, what's going on? What are you doing? Like, why are you you being so suspicious, right? And um, they were talking to him for a little bit. And before he knew it, all the kids, several of the kids had guns pointed at his head. And again, blink of an eye, he had several shots in him, in his head, in his throat, in his spine. That encounter left him paralyzed for life. He had to relearn how to live. He could no longer feed himself and walk around and do things. He had to rely on someone else for everything. But oddly enough, Stephen chose to forgive that teenager, the teenagers that shot him and left him paralyzed. He chose to forgive them, which floors everyone. He had started writing to the teens and started trying to get them back and forth. And they eventually responded and they ended up becoming friends as well. But here's the cool thing. And here's what I want to end with. uh, And this is a quote for why he forgave him. Why he forgave him. Listen to this. This is just awesome. I forgave him because I believe the only thing worse than receiving a bullet in my spine would have been to nurture revenge in my heart. Such an attitude would have extended my injury to my soul, hurting my wife, son, and others even more. It's bad enough that the physical effects are permanent, but at least I can choose to prevent spiritual injury. Wow, what a response. Let's forgive as God has forgiven us. Let's pray.